Welcome to Psychedelic Science for the People. My name is Emily Feda, and I will be your guide as we attempt to better understand psychedelic medicine through conversations with scientists and researchers. If you're a longtime listener of Cannabis Science Today, I'm so glad you're here, and I hope you stick around as the show and our branding continue to evolve. When I started this podcast back in 2019, our goal was to bring scientific research on cannabis to the people who need it most, patients, consumers, and industry professionals. Our goals haven't changed, but as you probably know, we're seeing a global renaissance in psychedelic research, as well as a decriminalization movement in the U.S. So it's never been more important to provide education on medicines like psilocybin, ayahuasca, LSD, MDMA, and ketamine. If you're here for the cannabis content, stay tuned. Our obsession with terpenes isn't going anywhere, and we're still going to be talking about cannabis. Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoy this upcoming season, and my goal is that these conversations provide a holistic understanding of psychedelic medicine so we can encourage safe and conscious use. Today we are featuring Dr. Fernanda Palando Fanatz, who is a neuroscientist and research engineer at the Brain Institute at the Federal University of Rio Grande do Norte in Brazil. She has conducted a number of double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trials testing the effects of ayahuasca on humans using fMRI techniques. She discusses the antidepressant effects of ayahuasca in treatment-resistant depression, as well as research indicating that ayahuasca shows strong potential as an intervention for suicide. She also shares exactly what is happening in the brain when someone takes ayahuasca and discusses everything from what happens to the default mode network to Shannon entropy to levels of neurotrophic factors. So this is a fascinating episode that really is able to connect exactly what happens in our brain on the psychedelic and what that means for our mental health and well-being. Well, Fernanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I'm so excited to, to hear about all of your research as an engineer and a neuroscientist, um, but, but before we get there, we're really going to be focusing on ayahuasca today, um, and ayahuasca is a tea brew that comes from plants indigenous to the Amazon um, in Brazil. So I'm wondering, when you look back, when were you first introduced to ayahuasca, and how would you describe it to, to a person who isn't familiar with it? So uh, thank you, Emily. Thank you for the introduction. And also, it's a pleasure to be uh, here and participate in this, um, in the podcast. Uh, so I, I'm from Brazil. And I should say that ayahuasca is quite common here. But nevertheless, the first time I heard about ayahuasca was when I I talked to Professor Draulio Barros de Araújo, who was my supervisor do, during the master and PhD, and he he told me about this uh, beverage. So uh, before that, I, I I didn't knew it. So this was the first time, and I can describe ayahuasca as this. Um, so it's a, a plant mixture made from two Amazonians Amazonians plants. And that has some psychoactive, psychoactive properties. So it's, um, it's a psychedelic brew. And it's consumed by uh, indigenous populations from uh, a long time. Uh, they have been uh, consuming ayahuasca for diverse purposes, from uh, healing, uh, for the war, or from uh, different uh, things. And also, um, since uh, 1930, it's uh, also consumed as a sacrament for some religious group uh, here in Brazil and even uh, around the world today. Mm -hmm. So you were you were first introduced to ayahuasca kind of in this research setting with a professor that you were working with. Yeah, so I I finished my undergraduation in, in electrical engineer and then I want to to do a master in neuroscience. And that's when I I met this um this professor, uh Draulio, and 
I so I, I I wanted to do some research in neuroscience, but I was not sure uh, what what uh, what to, to to investigate or uh, so several things uh, um, reached my attention. So uh, when I talked to him, he um, he was studying ayahuasca for a while. And so he he proposed to me this uh, line of research, and I found very exciting and very uh, interesting. So so this why this was how I I get in touch with uh, ayahuasca first mm-hmm. time. So I was first drawn to your work um, when I when I came across the paper "Rapid Antidepressant Effects of Ayahuasca in Treatment Resistant Depression." a randomized placebo-controlled trial. Um, So it sounds like this was a double-blind, randomized placebo-controlled trial with 29 patients with treatment-resistant depression. Um, And some of them received a single dose of ayahuasca and some of them received a placebo. So yeah, tell me more about this research study and what did you learn? What were the results? So yeah, you are, yeah, it's exactly how uh, you described. So this was a, a clinical trial. We conducted this um, randomized uh, placebo control trial uh, here in, in Natal, in the university, in the hospital university. And we, um, the, the, the most um, important result, I think, it's, it can be summarized as uh, this, um, this rapid antidepressant effect. So we found uh, a reduction in depressive symptoms uh, already one day after a single dose of ayahuasca. And this um, reduction was maintained for seven days. So um, also, the, the other thing is these patients, they uh, got better. So I think this is the, the two most important things. One thing is most uh, of the antidepressants we have in the pharmacy, they um, they take two weeks or more to start um, the effects. So it's really important to have faster medication. So as in this case, we found uh, a significant reduction already one day after the dosing. And another thing that's very important is, is um, the patients we treat with ayahuasca were treatment resistant uh, depressive patients. Let's say that they uh, tried before the, before participating in the study, they have tried at least two antidepressants from different classes and they didn't have a clinical response. So I think this is very um, promising in 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 this scenario definitely and so it sounded like you were able to so you access changes right away so kind of at you know the day one that they took the medicine and then up to seven days later what happened after the seven days were they back to baseline or were there still improvements yeah so this is this is a, a very nice question and uh, unfortunately, I don't have the answer. Why? So we designed the study to follow these patients until uh, six months after the study. So the planning was like follow them one, two, seven days, then with uh, two weeks, one month, and once per month until six months. The problem is, is that after seven days, we had to introduce a new antidepressant medication because during the trial, the patients were on what what we called uh, washout. They were without any antidepressant medication. So seven days uh, later, we have to introduce a new medication. Uh, And then we cannot say that the effect we are seeing was uh, do the ayahuasca or doing to this uh, new medication. The second problem is that we had a lot of um, dropout in this part of the study. It's really hard to to get people uh, came back to to the hospital to to make the the, the assessment. So um, already the, the study we include 
29 patients, so it's not a big sample. And then for the, for example, for this month, three months after the treatment, only five patients in the ayahuasca group and four patients in the placebo group, they came to the, to the doctors, uh, to see the doctors in this month. So we could not say that much about how ayahuasca uh, provoke, so how the, the effects of ayahuasca was along the time. So the, the only, the only uh, point that can uh, do some statistical analysis uh, was this uh, one, two, and seven days. But we look at the uh, one month after the, the the dosing, and I can say that the results are almost the same that on seven days. So one month after the treatment, patients from the ayahuasca group remain better than those from the placebo group. But after that, unfortunately, it, it does not we were not able to 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 do. Of course, that makes sense. And I'm just wondering, so if the patients have treatment resistant depression and they haven't, you know, had results or responses with other antidepressant medication, um, why why did they need to go back onto it? Like, what was that their was that their desire, or was it did the patients want to do that, or is it just kind of an ethical medical choice? It's an ethical, yeah. It's it's like a normal things to to do. Like if someone goes to the doctor uh, trying to find out something to to get better, the doctor has to offer some something. So uh, yeah, even if they already had tried a lot of medication, you can also try combinations, different combinations or different doses. Um, so it's it's like, it's the normal thing to do. It's an, it's also an ethical thing to do. Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, and, and then I'm wondering too, when you were doing this research, um, was this, were the patients receiving the ayahuasca in a laboratory setting um, or was there kind of a ceremonial aspect? What was the no. set and setting, I guess, of, yes, this ayahuasca yeah. dose? yeah. So as I said, all the procedures were um, performed in this um, university hospital and the setting was a clinical setting. So uh, the sessions were individualized. So each uh, indeed like we received one patient per week because the whole protocol uh, lasted one week so they came to the hospital on tuesday and then they had a lot of um, we did a lot of assessments including the uh, the appointment with the psychiatrist then we under um, they underwent um, an fmri session also they slept at the hospital where we did this um, electrical F um, eeg acquisition uh, electroencephalography um, acquisition during the sleep. Then next morning, they woke up here at the, the hospital. Uh, we took blood sample, blood samples, and then they took ayahuasca or placebo. So the setting was like uh, a room because it was the same room they slept uh, during the night. And, and during the sessions, they uh, were on this uh, kind of a recliner and they could sit or uh, lie down a little bit. And the room had um, a window so the sun could get in. And also they listened to music. So we had this uh, playlist and and sometimes they were listening to music and other time they were in silence. And the room had two um, paintings. So it was like also a little bit decorated, but not that much. And yeah, it was like more like a clinic, but also had some elements to, to, 
to bring uh, this kind of uh, setting we are used to to heard about when you talk about a psychedelic experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it, the, the playlist, so just to add, but the, the playlist mm-hmm. is available on Spotify. So if you look to Ayahuasca Studies um, in Brazil, it, that, uh, we had two playlists, one playlist with uh, musics, uh, only instrumental musics, and another one with uh, music with lyrics. Oh, cool, cool. We can link to that into the show notes. So if listeners yeah. are curious. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's interesting, and and it's important too because there's so many different ways to look at you know how ayahuasca affects people, and there's of course you know the ceremony and the the it grows the music, um, but but also it's just how does the medication work? You know, how does it actually just affect your brain? So I think it's it's interesting when you remove that ceremonial aspect of it, what happens? And it sounds like it's still effective. So let's dig into actually, because you've really taken this research um, a lot further and have some papers about uh, what is actually happening in the brain when people use ayahuasca and you and your, your team, you've used, um, actually put people in brain scanners using these fMRI techniques. Um, so, so let's talk about that. It sounds like that was a different study with um, 10 experienced users of ayahuasca. Is that correct? Yes, yes, exactly. This is, this is how we started uh, studying ayahuasca. So the, the first study we conducted was um, trying to understand how it looked like a brain under the effects of ayahuasca. So it was like we uh, invited some experienced people uh, that like use regularly the, the the tea, this ayahuasca brew, uh, in some religious rituals, and we invited them to uh, to perform an fMRI session. So fMRI is this uh, neuroimage technique that uh, allows us to to see what's happening in the brain uh, in a non-invasive way. So it's very it's very useful, so we can uh, we can see which brain region is uh, activated or deactivated during some tasks. Some when someone's lying down in the scanner, we can ask people to do something, and then afterwards we can look to the brain and see what it's happened. So one thing we want to know it's. Um, I don't know if you know, but maybe uh, everybody is, is uh, aware of that. One of the most pronounced and the most uh, curious, I think, uh, effects of ayahuasca is this um, brain, um, this uh, visual imagery you can see when someone is, is uh, under the effects of uh, the, the brew. So... The first study we conducted was to try to understand how this is uh, how is this effect on the brain. So um, we asked these people to to do an fMRI before the effects uh, before drinking ayahuasca, and then they uh, drank ayahuasca and four minutes after. We put them uh, on the scanner again, and then we ask them to see some pictures. And sometimes we ask them to see the picture, and other time we ask people just to imagine the picture. So after that, analyzing the, this uh, this data, we discovered that when people were under the effect of ayahuasca, the brain regions that was uh, that were activated in this imagery task was a similar, were similar to that activated when they were actually seeing something. So it's like the the imagery was so vivid that activated the same regions 
that are normally activated in the visual um, process. Wow. Yeah. And it sounds like um, you were able to really show that the research was able to demonstrate um, a change in activity in the default mode network, um, including like most of its, you know, the, its consistent hub. So I'm wondering, how, how do you describe the, the default mode network and, and how does ayahuasca affect that? Yeah, so so that was a second part of the same uh, of the same project. And the default mode network is this weak one can describe that is this um this set of regions of brain regions that are that present that present more activity when someone is not doing a task so for example we are talking here and like you are listening to me but at at some point you can just think in another thing you can think about something that happened to you yesterday or something you have to do after after that after we are talking so the default mode network is these brain regions that are responsible for that that process so it's a set of regions that it's involved in this um, in thinking about the the past the future and to uh, self uh, process so when someone is uh, wondering when some someone is like thinking about nothing so this i think it's it's how we can describe this uh, default mode network so it's these uh, different regions that include some uh, prefrontal cortex regions some uh, most posterior uh, regions uh, of the brain and that it's this kind of uh, of process that it's uh, responsible for, and this is very. This is a, a, a now today. I think it's a, a hallmark of the psychedelic uh, experience: uh, the reduction of activity of this uh, network. So it was uh, already uh, observed with ayahuasca, with psilocybin from the mushrooms, with LCD. So uh, it's a different psychedelic substances uh, evoke the same uh, response. So it's it is very un, uh, interesting, and it's very interesting also that this. Um, so the activity of this uh, the four mode network now also this DMN. Uh, it's uh, it's also common in other kind of um, altered state of consciousness. Uh, for instance, in um, meditation, we also observe the same thing. What about like when we're in a flow state, doing some sort of creative work or dancing? Um, that's I, I don't know if uh, if. You are asking me if it's this also a uh, default mode network process? Yeah, well, well, I'm wondering uh, um, if there's other ways of decreasing the activity of the default mode network. Yeah, like I'm wondering I, if we're in, you know, kind of a flow state, is that also a decrease in the yeah. default mode network? Is it kind of when that we're I, not thinking? Yeah, I that I don't know. Like I, the, the the studies that I know m more. Are about meditation. So mm -hmm. meditation, yeah. So when someone is in a meditative state, that is like uh, trying to think about nothing or, or trying to not uh, maintain the thoughts. So this is what someone observes also. And I think maybe during uh, hypnosis also, some that some studies that shows uh, a decrease in the DMN, but I, I'm not, I'm not familiar with other kind of uh, studies. It's mm -hmm. this is the four mode network is also altered by some pathologies. So uh, depression. So in depression, what we see, it's the opposite. It's like an, an increase in the default mode uh, network activity, which is uh, normally associated with uh, a symptom 
or a, 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 a symptom of depression that's rumination. That when someone is um, stick on this kind of negative thinking and cannot get away of this old negative thinking and it's, it's uh, less like a lot of time, spend a lot of time thinking about that. So this behavior is, is associated with this increase in the MN. And other kind of pathologies also has uh, different modulations in this uh, network. So when we're really trying to understand depression and what kind of medicines might be more effective for different people, do you think, so it sounds like the, you know, in the first study we talked about, the patients had treatment resistant depression. So they probably weren't, um, you know, in a lot of like, let's say maybe they took antidepressants like um, SSRIs, so yeah. selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are increasing the levels of serotonin in the brain. But if their problem is more in rumination, um, would yeah. would the SSSRI probably not be that effective? Uh, so, so one thing that definitely very hard is like to 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 dissociate the pharmacological and the psychological think so it's it's hard to like at the end the brain it's uh we have a lot of molecules in on the brain that that cause the behavior so the thing is like it's 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 together yeah so it's it's difficult to to separate them like that but i understand you are asking me to to some for some people we can have some kind of a psychological intervention that change the way the people, the, this person think, and that promotes um, uh, improvement in, in the symptoms. That's not, uh, that's related with this uh, pharmacological aspect of like increasing the serotonin in the brain, but not exactly, yeah? So what I think that's, can really be um, um, a thing when you are talking about psychedelic uh, substance, as ayahuasca, for example, is that this the, this kind of substance has uh, can have an impact in both ways of thinking. What I what, what I want to say is like the the ayahuasca has. Um, it's, it's a, a serotonin agonist. So in some way, ayahuasca is also um, increasing the availability of uh, serotonin in the brain. Yeah, not in the same way, like not activating the same receptors than uh, an, an SSRI, but the, the same neurotransmitter, the serotonin. So this pathway is, is, is the same. But also, the psychedelics um, are known to be substances that can um, can uh, show people uh, different things, or or can um, promote insights in the way someone thinking that can also uh, be responsible to this uh, improvement. So like I was talking about rumination or in rumination, it's uh, a negative thought. So during an ayahuasca experience, for example, someone can have uh, another point of view about that thought and that can change the way uh, he or she were thinking and can at the end promote an improvement in the depression. Yeah, I think that thank you for that answer. I think it's so it's so comprehensive because it is so hard to separate. Um, you know, it's so hard to separate the reasons behind depression and yeah. then to determine, well, what makes someone a good candidate for ayahuasca versus what makes someone a good candidate for for SSRIs. But but I do think what's what's so fascinating and exciting about ayahuasca is I think that this rumination or this kind of like 
you know, spending too much time in the default mode network is something that everyone can, most people I think can relate to, um, whether they have clinical depression or not. And, and it sounds like it, it is a, a quick route to healing, just kind of this almost change in perspective when we're not just running on the same neural circuits uh, over and over again, where we can repeat the same stories about, because there's always the suffering and, and, and this might be beyond the scope of the yeah. conversation, but you know, there's, there's suffering um, that, you know, which can just in the brain, but then there's also the, the stories we tell about it. And I think that's kind of where we get into those pretty destructive thought loops that we exactly. need that, that like that break that, that ayahuasca can really provide. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost like yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It's like it's a, it's a question of perspective. Yeah, you can look it's, if if you ask different people to to look to the same thing, we can have like a lot of different answers. So, and and also it's it's the same thing with with depression. Like yeah, someone can if if you can um, if you can uh, give people. Uh, some tool to to make them think different I think it's very useful yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes I agree so there is also you also have a paper on the increase or that kind of reports data that an increase in the Shannon entropy of the degree distribution of the networks subsequent to ayahuasca ingestion so yeah I was curious about what what this means yeah, What's happening is, in the brain? <laughs> so this is, is a uh, it's a, this is a fancy way uh, to say that we when someone's under the effect of ayahuasca, you, we can change the way that the different brain regions connect. So uh, to do this kind of of uh, study, we. Uh, use this fMRI signal and we ask people to stay uh, in the scanner when they are doing nothing. So it's a resting state acquisition. And and then we can see how the different brain regions communicate with each other. So we can see if like normally brain regions that are close to each other they communicate, they, they have, uh, they interact more than brain regions that are like far apart. So we measure that different connections in the brain before and during the effects of ayahuasca. And then we calculate this uh, channel entropy. That's a measurement in, uh, that measures like the disorganiza- disorganization of the, 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 the brain. So it's it's um, also um, it's related how, on how different regions can be uh, correlated. The signal of different brain regions can be uh, correlated to each other, and this increased in entropy uh, says that during the effects of ayahuasca, the the, the brain it's more flexible. So it's more uh, flexible at the same time we can like communicate different regions can communicate it during this period. So we can we have like new connections or brain regions that are not connected in the ordinary state of consciousness are connected during these effects. So this is a way to think that this kind of insights or this uh, new perspective are uh, are occurring during this period. Could you give an example of that? Um, it's the, the entropy in general. Well, I'm just wondering, I guess what's coming to yeah. my mind is when I'm thinking about two different brains connected, like I know uh, uh, sometimes like under ayahuasca or psychedelics, people will experience synesthesia. So maybe you like hear music and colors or something. Is is that kind of a an example of, of what you mean when, when you're talking about two different parts of the it, brain communicating? Yeah, I'm not sure about this um, phenomenon specifically. Yeah, because synesthesia, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a 
it's quite common uh, with psychedelics, but it's more, I think it's really hard to, to associate with a, a specific um, aspect because no one knows exactly how to, to this entropy is on a biological level. So I think it's, we can, the, 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 the easiest way to think about entropy is like some mathematical model that it's like used to measure this, um, this uh, capability of the brain to connected to, to be connected in different ways. So how we can connect the brain in different ways. So one thing we can think about is like, okay, I have the brain and then I divide my brain in 100 parts, equal parts. And I know that this brain to works like now, like when we are like in the normal, uh, a normal state of consciousness in an ordinary state of consciousness i know how this piece this 100 piece have to be connected and if they are connected in this way i know the behavior of the brain then someone take took uh, take ayahuasca or other psychedelic what happens is that these connections that are there some of them are broken and other are created and that changed the, the brain dynamic during this moment and when i do that i can see different things i can think different things i can feel in in a different way and and then after the effects i have connected my brain again at the same with the same pattern i'm i i'm used to but during the moment i had the opportunity to think different so i think this increase in entropy is this uh this this uh different connections that are made during the the effect the, the acute effect of a psychedelic I don't know mm. if it's clear, but it's it's hard to 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 think to to bring the concept to the biological uh, phenomena. I think everybody is, is trying to to do that, but in it's at the end, it's very hard to to assess that. Of course, of course, because you have this data from the from the brain scans, but but it's hard to know exactly what the person is experiencing in that exactly. Moment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's it's mm -hmm. hard to associate with. And also it's it's like we have, for example, we have like seven minutes of data of seven mm -hmm. minutes when people stay there. But we don't know what kind of thought the the person had in each moment. So it's really hard to to associate with in a specific behavior. Mm -hmm. Do you interview the or in this study, did you interview the um, participants afterwards to kind of get qualitative data or qualitative information about what they experienced and how? Yeah, yeah. We we ask them after the scanner, after the brain scanner, we ask them uh, about what they they think, what they they thought about when they were in the scanner, and uh, but it's it's very. I think it's it's most of people are vague about. So the scanner uh, do a lot of sounds. So most of people are thinking about the sounds. So mm -hmm. they are they are like, oh, okay, I, I thought about a train or about some kind of instrument because because of the the sound the the the, the noise indeed <laughs> like it's it's, it's really. A noise during the, the scanner or they it's noise relate. sorry it's noise from the machinery of the scanner or it's yeah. intentional noise that you no no to? from the machine from oh the machine. okay okay yeah that changes so, the experience i'm sure yeah so the, the fmri it, it's very noisy it's like do a lot of sounds a strange sounds during the acquisition so this is it's 
this is a thing. It's it's hard to to not to think about other things with this sound. So people, most of people report that the sound is an important part of the experience. And also after that, it's like okay, I was thinking uh, about my life, about the things I want to do after the scanner, or things that happened to me yesterday, or it's it's hard to that that's no uh it's a pattern of of response but it's very vague it's not really uh yeah that's interesting so even though even though the brain brain scans were showing that the default mode network was you know the the activity was decreased they were still kind of going through that to-do list or you know ruminating on the past that was what they reported oh interesting yeah yeah exactly because this this default mode network it's there no matter the activity so uh, it happens all the time yeah it's like it's associated with a lot of different kinds of thoughts so it's there uh for example if we are like it's just not there when you are doing something very specific for example if i'm talking okay if i'm talking and uh, if i'm doing a brain scanner when i'm talking I will see specific brain regions that are responsible for the, the speech, like so the Broca regions, the Wernicke area, so some very specific regions. But if I stop talking, then I can observe the DMN at the same time. So uh, if I'm reading something, I will see on the on my my brain some specific regions that are responsible for this uh, the reading process but when i'm not reading the dmn is there also uh it's the same with some uh motor task if i'm i'm uh shaking my hand i can see the brain regions that do that but i if i'm not doing that the dmn is also there so the dmn is like it's this uh, default mode so we are there in the DMN if we are not doing something else. Mm. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So I also wanted to ask you about another paper, and I'm not sure if this was from the same study, but um, where you looked at, were you able to observe an increase, I believe, in um, serum brain derived neurotrophic factor after a dose of ayahuasca? Um, so could you talk about this? Was this the same study or a different one? Yeah, so this study is the same study with the the, the depressive patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when we designed this study to, to investigate the antidepressant properties of ayahuasca, we also designed it to try to understand from where these uh, effects uh, could come. So uh, if we found some, if you find some effects, why this is happen? So, as I said before, we collected blood sample from these patients and we measured different hormones and molecules uh, from these, uh, these samples. One of these molecules is this uh, uh, brain neurotrophic factor, this BDNF. And this molecule is... Um, is related to depression because it's also related to neuroplasticity. So when uh, when someone has depression, we observe a decrease in these BDNF levels. And what you saw in this study is that with ayahuasca, two days after this uh, the ayahuasca intake, the levels of this molecule were increased. So it's like one of the the possibilities that explain uh, the effects of ayahuasca. So we talked here about this effect on rumination, for instance, but we have also uh, on a biological level some possibilities that explain also what we are seeing. Mm-hmm. And this might be, yeah, this might be pushing pushing it too far, but I'm wondering, are those related 
do you think like if you are let's say and i know it's so hard to separate all the different causes of depression but if you are actually kind of you know overrunning you know the the default mode network um do do you think that actually has makes pharmacological changes in the brain yeah i think so yeah i think it's it's hard to separate but i think it can be like a mixture of things like like uh one of our um hypothesis is also that that one like that maybe someone get better with uh with ayahuasca because we can decrease the dmn activity that are already uh that were increased in the patients with depression uh other uh possibilities is this uh increase in bdnf levels also we had another paper that we investigated this um uh anti-inflammatory properties of ayahuasca and in depression some some people see depression as an inflammatory disease and we tried to measure some molecules that um that gave information about inflammation and we saw that ayahuasca decreased the levels of those molecules so that also can be a way to explain and what i truly believe is that it's not one thing that happens in the brain that will uh, make people better i think it's a combination of factors Mm-hmm. And we don't know which one is like more important than the others. I think this is to be uh, a study already, but still, but yeah, it, I think it's a combination of things. We had like several good biological candidates to, to explain the fact. So like this uh, BDNF that has uh, up, that's play a role in neuroplasticity. We have, for example, the cortisol, that's a, a hormone related to stress that is also modulated by ayahuasca. We have these um, inflammatory uh, markers that are also modulated. We have this um, psychological process that are also altered by uh, the experience with ayahuasca. And I think it's a combination of of different things Mm -hmm. yeah that makes so much sense and i think that's why depression can be so debilitating um and really require like some sort of outside intervention because when you think if you're okay if your default mode network is just running on running on these loops and, and telling stories about you know telling stories that you're you're unloved or you're not yeah. worthy or you have too much anxiety and then you know you isolate yourself or, or stop doing the things that bring you joy then of course you know there's going to be pharmacological changes in the brain and, and you're not gonna, you know you're not going to have access to as much whether it's yeah. um yeah serotonin or some of these other different uh, neurotransmitters so yeah so i i just think yeah it's so important to to have this like holistic treatment approach because yeah. there's so many different elements but that segues really nicely to my next question because we're, we're talking about all these different um, changes in the brain you know the increase in channel entropy or neurotrophic factor and the the decrease in the activity of the default mode network but really the big question is what what can ayahuasca do for our mental health and you wrote one pr- paper in particular about um, ayahuasca um, being able to be have potential as an intervention for for suicide. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think I, I, this result came from the same um, data from the patients, and I think this is very uh, important because we don't have a, a, a medication specific for. Uh, suicidality or for for suicidal uh, ideation so i think it's um when someone is in this state that that the only thing uh, they can think it's about uh committing suicide i think we need some uh, rapid intervention that can uh can take the, the the person from this state and i think the psychedelics can be uh, a very nice 
uh, substance to, to promote this kind of rapid change. So in, in our case, we, we saw exactly that, that the patients um, who had some kind of uh, suicidal ideation, uh, one day after the, the intervention of ayahuasca, one day of, after this, this single dose, they uh, had a, a significant decrease on this, uh, on this kind of thoughts. And I think, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very promising to have some, something that works on, uh, on this, uh, window of time. I think in this, in this more important than depression, like depression is also very important that you have medication that, uh, works in, in a short period. But I think, Specifically about suicidal, it's it's very very important that we have something to do at the moment because it's a moment of of it's very painful, yeah, to think that someone is in this kind of state. So if we can offer something to to take the the, the person away from this uh, these thoughts, I think it's very 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 good. Yeah, I think it, this is so important to talk about because as you mentioned at the beginning, you were able to observe a direct decrease in, in depressive levels on day one, whereas most antidepressants take at least two weeks to start working. So I think it's it's just so good to know that this is um, an option. Yeah, and I think it's it's also, it's like, it's, it's wonderful for the patients, but also for the doctors, yeah? Because if, mm. you, if you think about the doctors, yeah, if someone is a doctor, psychiatrist, and you have a patient that call you or or go to the to, to the to the office and say, "Yeah, I'm thinking about suicide because I can I I don't have any other thing to do. This is my last option." And the doc for the doctors is really hard also because what what she can or what he or she can offer to this patient. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I think we have to to think about also uh, from the psychiatrist side. So it's it's also very important to to give option to options to the doctors to to have also what to offer to the mm-hmm. to to those patients. Definitely, and the last paper I want to ask you about is about how the long term use of psychedelic drugs could be associated with differences in brain structure and personality in humans. Um, so the paper, it sounds like the paper is suggesting, you know, and it's not direct causation, but the regular use of psychedelic use could change. Yeah. Change the brain actually structurally, especially in the area supporting attention or internal mentation. So um, could you talk about this? And I'm also wondering how how much psychedelic usage does someone need to engage in in order to have these long term changes? Yeah, so so this paper was a collaboration uh, with a group in Spain that investigates a lot about ayahuasca. Also, it was a a, a group uh, leader by uh, Jordi Hiba. It's a, it's a, I think it it was the the, the science that. Uh, did most of this uh, work on ayahuasca on the 2000, from 2001 to 2015, 16. And in this paper, we, we had also, we used this fMRI uh, technique. So we had these photos of the brain, these images from, of the brain, and we um from people that were like using ayahuasca for years so it was really uh regular consumers of ayahuasca so people who have been using ayahuasca from several years who had consumed ayahuasca more than 100 times and we compared them to people who who not consume ayahuasca or other psychedelics and we observe an increase in the brain thickness so in the cortical thickness of the brain in some regions as you said from uh, related to to attention to to uh, in its posterior um, regions of the brain and 
we related that to some uh, changes in behavior, in personality, related to one personality, one personality trait that's openness. So this is uh, related to 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 have um, a more open uh, thinking. So to be open to new experience, to have uh, this uh, this uh, more uh, curious way of of uh, thinking and of having different experience and. I don't know how many. I don't know if someone knows how many experience, how many ayahuasca you have to take, or how many experience with ayahuasca you have to take to to that. Uh, what I know is that people from this study had a lot of experience, so they had take ayahuasca at least fifty times or in life. And but this kind of study, so we saw that uh, changes in personality of other psychedelics also. But I think one thing that we can also uh, bring to the discussion that uh, we don't know how to separate if uh, at the beginning these people were already people that were more open to experience. So that's why they 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 look for experience with psychedelic, for example, or if it's really caused by the use of the psychedelic, yeah? It's, it's difficult to, to separate also these two things. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Yeah, um, if someone, someone is like, this kind of experience of psychedelic is, is normally it's, Someone will have an experience with psychedelic if if she or he looks to looks uh, look for that. Yeah, it's not a normal experience. On yeah, so mm -hmm. maybe it's it's already a, a a threat of personality that someone has to to be involved in this kind of experience. Right. It will be interesting to see. I think as psychedelics become. Um, and become more mainstream um, as yeah. you know a type of mental health intervention it might start attracting more people exactly. where you don't have to try you know where you don't have to travel to the amazon to to take this yeah. medicine and, and we're already starting to see that because it might actually be more useful for people who don't have that as an inherent trait don't have that yeah. kind of openness and, and mental flexibility so exactly i think i think more we are doing studies in, in this clinical way, more data we will have on, on a general population, yeah? Because the studies we have now with, uh, especially I think these studies investigating the acute effects of, uh, of the psychedelics or this long-term effects of psychedelics, we study a, a specific population, yeah? But I think when, if, we can offer this kind of substance for everybody, for someone that's suffering from anxiety or depression. We will have a more real picture of what kind of effects we have, not only in, in, for the disease, but also in other aspects of life. Mm -hmm. Yes. And to wrap up our conversation here, I would love to hear what what you're um, what you're working on currently, or what you're most excited to learn about when it comes to ayahuasca and the brain in the future. Yeah, so I think ayahuasca is like amazing. It's like it's amazing for the beginning. Like it's amazing to me to think about how indigenous indigenous populations uh, get to get these two plants together to, to make ayahuasca. So this is, is very curious to me, like how they invented this technology to, to because ayahuasca only, uh, only had the effect because that these two plants are mixed together. If you put only one of them, we don't have the effect. So it's, it's intriguing to me how they, they, get this com got this combination so i think we have a lot of a lot of 
thanks to investigative with ayahuasca. But now here at my lab, we are moving to, to investigate one of these uh, substances that's present in ayahuasca, which is this uh, uh, dimethyltryptamine, DMT. And we are like, uh, as a scientist, uh, we also want to know the specific effects of each part of the things to try to better understand the effect. So we are dedicating uh, our uh, studies now to this part of ayahuasca to try to understand better what uh, it's doing. And also we're still trying to find out uh, how these uh, psychedelics can help uh, with depression. So this is the kind of studies we are doing now. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to, to yeah, learning more about those when they when they come out. That's so for thank, sure, yeah. Thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for sharing all of this. Um, yeah, all of this knowledge and insight with us. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. And yeah, hopefully I, I, I can come again with more, <laughs> more interesting things to, to tell you. Yes, we'd love that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Psychedelic Science for the People. If you're wondering why we have taken a rather long hiatus in between the past few episodes, the reason is money. We are actively seeking financial supporters to help us continue to produce this podcast and make psychedelic and cannabis science education available to the people. If you are passionate about this cause and would like to support us financially, please become a Patreon at patreon.com backslash psychedelic science for the people. If you're not able to do that right now, we still love you and appreciate your support. Please consider sharing this episode or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much again for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.